Welcome to the Hurley Edition, Episode 3. We've made it to number 3. We're here. We did it. They said we couldn't do it, but we did it. Thank you for tuning in. I'm Michael Hurley, host of the Hurley Edition. Thanks for checking it out. This week, I'm talking to Luke O'Neill. Luke O'Neill is a writer, a Boston area writer. He writes for everybody. Literally, if you've read a publication, he's probably written for them. He is a freelancer, but he's doing a lot for Esquire these days. That's probably, if you've read him recently, where you've seen it. He's, he writes about everything. This is not he's, not, he's not a sports writer, but he does, he does write about sports. He writes about politics, about life, about everything. He's, he's a very interesting writer, and, and I wanted to have him on. It worked out where the day that, that he came in, he actually wrote about Justin Bieber wearing sports jerseys. So we had a little in to the sports world, but I did want to talk to him because he is a very interesting person. He, he, he's someone who has a lot of opinions and thoughts about a lot of things, but not in sort of the machine gun, rapid fire kind of way. It's in a more thoughtful, uh, carefully crafted kind of way, which you would actually never know if you only knew him through Twitter, where he makes a lot of... Um, uh, he's... he's, he's hmm, how do you describe it on Twitter? He's different on Twitter. You know, you can't judge a person by the way that they tweet because it's a website that some of us are addicted to and just lose our minds using. So he is interesting, and he also, um, he's a very outspoken um, hater of our president, Donald Trump, and a former uh, adorer of the Patriots quarterback, Tom Brady, and the way that they, those two have, have intermingled over the past couple of years has put not just Luke, but a lot of people like Luke uh, in, in a bit of a conundrum in, in that they can't quite wrap their heads around Tom Brady being friends with a person that, that they despise. And I wanted to talk to Luke about that because it, it puts a face on it and it puts real thoughts behind it rather than just saying there's some sort of Brady-Trump association and it's driving a lot of people mad. I think Luke uh, can articulate that pretty well, uh, what, what he's experiencing. And so th- we talk a lot about that. Uh, we get into a few other sports topics. Um, he, he actually has covered the Best Buddies event at Harvard Stadium, and so uh, I wanted to talk to him about that, considering that's been in the news with, with how that's been treated, and and, and Luke's uh, never shy about writing stories about his own personal life, uh, his health, his, his lots of things like that, so I, he's an interesting guy. So we talk about that, we talk about our Twitter addictions, how unhealthy it is, and then uh, we talk a little about, about emo at the end, because what is a conversation without some emo talk? So check it out, hope you like it, and here he is, Luke O'Neill. All right, joining me now in studio, he's a writer, he is a singer, he is a DJ, he is a man about town, he's a fancy cocktail enjoyer, he is Luke O'Neill, writer for Esquire, Boston Magazine, Washington Post, Boston Globe, Noisy Alternative Press, Maximum, Maxim, MTV, anyone else? Probably uh, a lot more. You could just probably, I touched on a little bit of everybody, but mostly these days, Esquire is my main gig, but... uh yeah, you have to kind of be a, a mercenary in, the, in this freelance game out here. I can imagine. It's st- is it stressful? I mean, you're doing a lot for Esquire now, so yeah. I, uh, it's no. Seemed- I'm I'm kind of I'm on staff basically now, but like not really, you know. So I basically just work for Esquire, but uh, they don't give me health insurance, so oh. you know, it's, it's a pretty good deal. Perfect for them. Yeah. <laughs> um, but is that 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 lifestyle to me? Because I've been a full time employee since. Oh nine, so there's an element that's sort of appealing, and you've written about it a lot, in being a freelancer and having your own schedule and, and, and making your own schedule and things like that. But no, it is great. It, well, it's particularly great now, like if you can 
like maintain a freelance lifestyle but with like one sort of part you know almost full-time thing like i have which is great because you can always have you know there'll always be like a, a source of money coming in when you're just straight freelancing like i did you know for most of my 20s i had to like do you know wait tables on the side right. and stuff like that because you know you never know there could be a week or two weeks where you just don't have any ideas or, or no, you know nobody's taking your ideas so it's a little stressful I always lo- I always loved like just work you know being at home and not having to commute anywhere that's to me is like probably the main you know uh, upside to it right I spend about 40 hours a week in the car so well you get to listen to uh, 98.5 the sports song. all the takes I am I am a sponge of all the takes but <laughs> what what is a, a week or an average week like for you with the with the work schedule uh, it depends on like you know some some weeks I might be working on something that's that's a hefty and substantial story that requires lots of effort you know and and chasing sources down and, and really putting the nose to the grindstone and, and some I might write a couple of half-assed pieces that take a couple hours and then I you know sit on my ass all day so it really depends but I do kind of like that variety because I wouldn't want to necessarily be busting my ass constantly every day. Uh, and I wouldn't. I don't want. I wouldn't want to be, you know, jerking around every day either. So right. it's, it's it's kind of a nice, it's a nice mix. And I don't know. It frees. It's great. Like if you're trying to do other things, it frees up lots of time, and you don't have to. Like the thing I never. The last job I had must have been in like twelve, thirteen years ago in an office. And and even when you're like writing and you know producing media of any kind, you just a lot of time where you're just sitting there, and you just got to sit there at a desk just to be there. And that just never appealed to me. I could not do it. In the era of Twitter, too, it seems like you're doing even the busiest days are when when everything's happening, the days go by fine in the more work you do. But there are days where you do the least amount of work and it's the most painful day to exist. It is, especially well, especially now that like you literally can't stop. You can't turn away from the news cycle anymore. Right. And there's been days, and I'm sure everyone can relate to this, where, I, you know, I don't usually put my phone down very often, but, some, you know, sometimes I'll put it down uh, for an hour or two, and then I'll come back, and I'm like, holy shit, what, what happened? i got to read all the tweets. Yeah, I seriously. have to read every tweet. Um, so you, you cover a really wide range of topics. You write about, I would say, like real journalism, like your, your healthcare story, things like that. You talk to the buffalo uh, sub eater. Yeah, yeah. Um, you write about my goddamn television, right, right. which ruined my life. Still ruins my life to this day. <laughs> you, um, you earned that one. <laughs> things are better. Things are better. You know what? It's fine. It's fine. I'm, I'm actually laughing. I'm not even mad. Um, but you also delve into sports a lot. Yeah. You know, yeah. we are you know in a sports building. So I mean, your most recent story perfectly segues this this situation for us because you wrote about the. The most fever, feverish debate of the day, which is, is Justin Bieber a bandwagon fan with oh all his jerseys? God. So, tell and me about that one. I just kind of, it kind of uh, loops into a pet peeve of mine, and and you hear it constantly when people talk about Boston sports fans, especially people who hate the Patriots, who call in here, and um, you know the, this idea of whether or not you've earned your you know, you've ascended to the level of actual sports fan. Right. You know, like people... Testing your knowledge. And it's, it's starting to get funny when people do it with the Patriots because like, oh, you've only been a fan of the Patriots for 
was 17 years <laughs> since they started. It was like, that's a pretty that's substantial <laughs> time to be a fan of a team. That's a lifetime for yeah. a lot of people. Uh, There's also so, two cycles of it where you only became a fan in 07. Yeah, so when you weren't came even there. back around. Uh, I only just stopped being a fan, which is something we can talk about yeah. later. But but uh, the Beaver thing, uh, it's just stupid. He's just a... Uh, it's like who cares? And Drake gets it a lot too, right? Um, and it's like any one of these people that complains about it. Like if you're a Celtics fan and like LeBron James wanted you to come hang out with him, and you know you would be a Cavs fan in like five seconds. Right. You know what I mean? Right. So I just find the whole thing silly. And you know, plus my man Bieber, he looks good. It's he true. looks good in those jerseys. Was that a story where you're writing it and you're like you hit? Maybe submit, and you're just like, I never thought I'd be writing this story yeah. in my life. No, I mean, I've written dumb, a lot of dumb things. <laughs> so I, I, it's, I, I think that there's a difference between a dumb story that's kind of got a point to it and a dumb story that's just has absolutely no reason to exist, which I try not to do anymore. Like, the, you, you just the absolute shittiest, dreckiest content. Just you know, like, oh, cover. sentence and then a YouTube video. Yeah, yeah. I try not to do that. Um, and fortunately, they don't really make me, but every now and again, I'll have to do a yeah. Twitter roundup or something. Well, it's part of the business. Yeah, well, it pays the bills, I guess. You know, it it's, uh, keeps the lights on over at Hearst. Sometimes I joke that our website is just cbsboston.com slash Tom Brady's Facebook. <laughs> yeah, right. Because you could just have Tom Brady's Facebook in your life, but instead we provide it, and it always just does gangbusters. But with and it's, more ads. In, uh, <laughs> with our ads. Yeah, with... <laughs> for his ads right. about his stuff but i di- i want to take one quote from your beaver story because i feel like it, it it's applicable it's kind of long but it's from you so you probably won't mind yeah. this is from you it will never ever be cool at least not in the traditional rebellious sense to be a true believer for a sports team because it requires in the type of all or nothing allegiance pledging we're talking about here subsuming your identity to a corporation that does not care about you and exists simply to extract money from your wallet while convincing you are a part of a cultural identity group and, you know, you go on to talk about sort of the quote-unquote real sports fans. And you're obviously self-aware, but you also have tweeted out, you know, pictures of yourself going nuts for the Patriots with your with your two Dunkin' Donuts iced coffees right, being like right. Mr. Stereotypical Fan. So, I mean, you're, you're, you're well-adjusted with regard to sports place in society, but do you still get swept up in it? No, of course. And I think that's the thing that is dangerous about it because obviously, I, I, well, I mean, anyone who follows me or reads me knows that I'm a very big Patriots fan and and in particular have been a you know a Tom Brady worshiper like the rest of us for a long time up until recently of course and um, I think that there's a there's a I don't think there's anything wrong with like being a fan of a team it's it's great sports are well I mean sports are awful obviously yeah professional <laughs> sports and that football is corrosive and terrible and, and corrupt and everything but the idea of sports in general is is great, and uh, I don't think there's anything wrong with that. And I don't think there's anything wrong with getting carried away a little bit in the in the heat of a game. Like that's why we watch them. It it, it you know affects us emotionally, and and it's thrilling and inspiring. <clears throat> but and you know this very well, and anyone who's a sort of self aware Boston sports fan will tell you there's a a line that you can cross where an attack on Tom Brady is an attack on you personally or or anytime there's a fist fight in the stands right, right. because of different allegiances to corporations right, right. like yeah if, if you're like oh you've got you know a coke hat on and I've got a pepsi hat on you know <laughs> f- you and, that actually might happen down south <laughs> yeah, they take coke seriously no but the, I mean I think this the 
I don't know. I think anyone who's thought about this for more than a few minutes will will get the get the point. But um, I I do love the Patriots, and I still want them to win football games. But if they don't, it it doesn't mean that I am uh, you know it doesn't devalue my own sense of self worth. Right. You know? Although that said, um. The, the Brady stuff, and I don't know if we want to get into that, but... Oh, I got a whole page of Brady stuff. Okay, okay. You want to wait? We want to... Well, you know, go ahead. I don't want to interrupt. Well, no, it, that was has been hard for me, and I've written about this a few times, mm-hmm. because despite the fact that we, we know all this stuff that I just said, you can't help but when you really, really admire somebody, even if you know that they're just a guy who's good at throwing a ball... Um, when you spend as much time looking at the guy that, you know, whoever the hero is in your hometown, you, you can't help but feel a connection to them, e- even while knowing you shouldn't. You even know? though you know he's from San Mateo, went right. to school in Michigan. Right. And, and, you know, Tom Brady and I have very little in common, aside from being strikingly handsome. Mm-hmm. Um, I was going to say that. Yeah, but, yeah, I thought you were. I Everyone wants I wanted, to. You yeah, know? I wanted to save, save you the embarrassment. <laughs> But um, but I think that this whole thing, this Trump era has driven everybody insane, uh, certainly myself. I'll fully admit to that. You know, people are like, oh, you're unhinged about Trump. But yeah, yes, I am unhinged. Well, I guess we should lay that out for anyone that's listening and might not know. The conundrum that you found yourself in where you loved or adored Tom Brady as much as anyone else in the world and you despised Donald Trump more than anyone else right, in the world, right. and their intertwining over the past year and a half has put you in a in difficult position. And I think a, a lot of us, and but on the other hand, you've got, uh, as I mentioned, these pe- the people we were just talking about who who are who think you know the globe is out to get Brady and, and stuff like that. But I honestly think that uh, it's disgusting, and uh, I think anyone who is friends with Donald Trump. I don't care how long you've been friends with them. You're a piece of shit. And uh, it, it, there's just no excuse for for Brady to have not even made, like, a half-hearted, like, condemnation of... Like, this stuff with the hat, when the hat was in his locker, that mm-hmm. was right around pretty close to the time of the... Uh, of the uh, Access Hollywood tape, I think, right? Or I think it was before. I think it was before he had emerged as like the primary candidate. I right, think it was right. during. It was, it was yeah. I don't remember the fall of 2015. Right. I want to say, and around the time of the election, yeah, okay. So that yeah, that tape came out right before the election, and then Trump was um, using kept referencing Brady in his speeches. Yeah, 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 New, yeah. New Hampshire, and Brady wouldn't talk about it. And I think it would have been the easiest thing in the world for him to. To say, I've been friends with Donald Trump for a long time. I do not support X, Y, and Z. Mm-hmm. You know, I don't support, support sexually assaulting women. I don't support saying this and that about, you know, Mexicans or Muslims. Or, and right. Like how, how that would not have been in any way controversial for Brady to say something like that. And it, it wouldn't even, it, I'm saying just like why he could have covered his ass a little bit. He didn't even have to mean it. Right. He you just, could say, I still like the guy, but I don't agree with everything right. he says. But, and it, not to excuse him but 
I just I get the impression ever since I think it was around oh nine where he told he he told fans that they should get lubed up before the game right in like Mothers Against Drunk Driving made a statement condemning him the Patriots had to release a statement saying he meant water yeah, and, yeah, and it yeah, was yeah. just this whole thing and I feel like ever since then he's been content to never say anything no matter what the situation and I feel like he just he just he would be happy if he never had to say anything. Ever about anything? I know, but I think that if you we're if you're going to have tens of millions of people, you know, adoring you and looking up to you, and uh, I'm not talking about like you know the who was the Charles Barkley who said you know I'm not a role model, right? Yeah, I'm not saying like he has to be perfect in his own like personal character, right? I'm just saying when a authority authoritarian fascist sexist racist piece of Dumbass is about to become the president. You can maybe, you know, say something. Like I don't care what Tom Brady. I don't care what he does with his wife, his kids, or you know, anything like that. I don't care if he drinks too much, takes pills, whatever. We usually get mad about for character issues or whatever with athletes. Uh, I just think don't elect Donald Trump president is a pretty, pretty uh, fair place to draw the line for somebody who wants. To be the hero to millions, you know. Yeah, again, you it. love him more than me. I no, think. no, I just I find it. He's always to me just see, seemed like a robot, and I think we know enough about him to know that he's not. I, I think I think he's not a proponent of of building a wall of, of keeping Mexicans out of the country and of sexual assault and things like that. So uh, to me, the fact that he didn't condemn them, it's almost like. Like wanting him to to go through the process, just to go through the process. Like, it, I think there's a lot of projection onto him of of just because he does have the microphone he has, mm-hmm. that a lot of people who would want that message pushed are upset with him for not doing it. But I, yeah, but I don't know. I'm not talking about. I wouldn't be saying this if he was if if Brady was friends with Mitt Romney, you know. Yeah, no, no, no. I know who's a you know an of a different kind, but. <laughs> But uh, at least, uh, you know, one of the normal types of assholes that we're familiar with, I just think it's a it's a really rare situation. And I think every day we get to see more and more how, you know, if if a couple more people had had taken it seriously and 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 disavowed the guy that who knows. I, I, basically, what I'm saying is it's Tom Brady's fault that. Donald Trump yeah. got elected. 100%. I agree with that. I think that's fair. Yeah. You actually have talked to Tom Brady twice. Yeah, yeah. I got a chance to interview him a couple times for uh, for Esquire for a couple of different UGG campaigns he was doing. I have to say, uh, I was going through it and getting ready for this, and there were the, there were many exclamation points in his answers to you, and those made me very uncomfortable. <laughs> made me I very don't uncomfortable. The, I haven't read them in a while, so I don't remember where I put the, uh, the punctuation. But that is, he's very upbeat and enthusiastic when he when he talks and uh you know certainly about he doesn't really say much of substance yeah uh i was surprised i did get him to last time i talked to him was right around the, the kaepernick controversy yeah 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 he gave a and thorough he answer actually on that. have an answer on that so that was that was kind of cool to see i mean he then again he he didn't really give the answer that i would have wanted him to as my you know own personal puppet that I know the <laughs> words come out of, which is what he should be. <laughs> but um, I don't know. It's hard. It was really hard. I think it was really hard not to be charmed by him as a, you know, as someone who's been a fan of him for so long. And I think in retro- retrospect, I probably should have uh, pressed him on the Trump thing. But 
Weren't you told uh, not to ask him also, about yeah, it? Yeah, but I also knew that he wouldn't answer, and then the interview would be over. Right. So it's a shit, uh, shit position to be in, but you know, you, I don't think I would ever. I wouldn't. I wouldn't agree to do that. Again. That, that was my next question. You said you were nervous before that interview, which you're usually not. You just wouldn't do it now. No, with the I parameters. I would do it, and then I would say something. You know, at this point, because I've already. You've already covered the yeah. the, the the fashion angles right, that need right. to be covered. Yeah, and then if he got kicked out, I got kicked out. So be it. That's a story now. Yeah, he kicked somebody else out the other day. And that was that's kind of uh, bullshit that they're covering that up now too. Although I, I don't I don't know that he. I didn't follow it that closely. I don't know that he had anything to do with this it. This is about the Best Buddies situation. Right. Well, and I did want to ask you about that because you also wrote about, you covered the Best Buddies event a few years ago. And yeah. you forever ruined Guy Fieri for me yeah. by saying he's a decent guy. Um, but you also, I just read it again, you also seem to, I don't want to say get swept up, but you sort of got to understand what the night was all about, mm-hmm. the, 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 all the positives that they accomplished in that. And then, you know, what what is your reaction to to the globe getting the photographer banned at the event this 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 time around well i i didn't i don't know enough about it to say whether or not it was brady or his people or the best buddies people who who did it um it's not an entirely accommodating scene for the media no the media well when i went uh last time i went was two years ago and um they they i was in the throes of deflate gate yeah it was right when that happened and um right after a couple months after and uh they kept the media as far away from as possible from from brady and all of the players like on the other side of the field and then you weren't even allowed to go into the event afterwards but i snuck in um and you know got to have the super fancy experience of watching you know uh Kristen fourier uh eat from a buffet table <laughs> very luxurious or whoever it was dan copen I think that, I, that that's a whole other thing with Brady that that he can't. I mean, it's just disappointing. Why does he need to be paid to go play flag football for two hours? Yeah, you know, and then ride a bike on the Cape. Like he needs millions of dollars for that. Yeah, I mean, I don't know how much. I mean, the, their their spin on it is that he wanted to you know do some other charity work. Best buddies found him valuable and said, "What if we give you money that you can then." redistribute to those charities to keep him on because uh, he did it's so much. It's, it takes him two, day, two days out of his life, if that. You know, the, 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 the thing at Harvard Stadium where he plays flag football and then he goes to the dinner afterwards, it's like three hours maybe. You know, one, one day of his life, and then the next day they go do a bike ride on the Cape. Like, he could do, he's got a lot of time to do other charities. Um, so it's, it's peeled. The Brady Band-Aid has been peeled, it seems. I, I, shattered. I think... Tom Brady, the person, I have no, I have no more, like, I'm not a fan of Tom Brady, the person anymore, uh, because sports is, you know, poisons your brain, I will still hope that the New England Patriots football company, you know, throws the ball good, but, um, but as I was saying, like, before the Super Bowl this year, which I got to go to, and uh, was where, where oh, I, I need to ask nice about hat. <laughs> I uh, need to ask about that too. Because yeah, I, 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 when they were getting their asses kicked, I was not as mad as I normally would have been, because I was like, "Well, f- these guys," you know. And I think what was happened for me is instead of not being a Patriots fan anymore, I think like 
the the twenty percent of sadness that I would feel on the bottom when they lose, and the twenty percent of happiness I'd feel on the top when they win, have been stripped away. So I'm just sort of okay, good, they won, that's cool. You know, it's preferable. Yeah, it's preferable that they won. But I mean, I used to get in a bad mood for a couple of days if they lost. You know, well, it's yeah. for the better that that because more often than not, your team's going to lose. Yeah. Unless it's the Unless Patriots. The Patriots right? <laughs> you also, um, you spend a day with Rob Gronkowski. I yes. remember that. What do you think of his politics? <laughs> I, hope, I hope I never find out. <laughs> I think, uh, I, I honestly think, like all the things that we say about Brady, like, oh, he's just a robot, he doesn't pay attention. I think that's probably ac- accurate about Gronkowski. Yeah. I don't think he reads the newspaper. It's <laughs> not his But I, I have nothing against as far as we all know, Gronkowski's just a lovable guy. He's just a goofball, likes to party. And, you know, weirdly, he doesn't seem to be, like, misogynistic or rapey about it or anything. Like, a, a lot of guys who yeah. fret. Alpha, yeah. high school jocks, yeah, never left the locker room. Be, and I mean, I could be wrong. I don't know. But he seems to be, you know, sort of a woke uh, frat boy. Well, yeah. You know. He almost, relatively speaking, not that it's an act, but he almost seems more boring than his public persona. Like he wants to just be boring, but he's like, well, this is very profitable to be this guy. Yeah. It's kind of sad. It's sad in a way. He's going to be like, you know, 50 years old and like going like instead of (laughs) signing football cards or whatever on the, he'll be doing shots of fireball circuit. He'll be doing shots. Um, and before I want to, I do want to move on from the Patriots, but before we do, I looked through our old exchanges on Twitter, which I don't recommend ever doing. Don't ever read old tweets, but I just kind of wanted to see, you know, what, maybe how we first started talking, but you are on the, in the debate of Wes Welker's Super Bowl drop. You are on team bad pass. And so we are going to now fight to the death about it being one of the, the pass was fine. Uh, and you, you disagree. You said it was a bad pass, and so the pass was a little high. It's gonna get a, it was, the pass was not perfect, but it was catchable. Every pass is catchable. Well, when it gets in between both of your hands, <laughs> it's especially catchable. Oh man, I don't know. I think at the time, Welker was my favorite player. You know, because uh, how could he not be? Well, because I'm racist. Well, yeah, racist like like boss. everyone else, yeah, right. of course. And um, no, I, I just think I think the pass was just. It was like. It was kind of like up like this, if I'm remembering it correctly. Like, like, yep. you know, and no, I just think that Brady, he just didn't. If we, if he's the greatest of all time, which we think he is, he puts it in the in the right mm, spot. No, no, it's not. It's not. It's not a video game. Who is there? So I mean, I do. I mean, I do like to have some people on that are wrong in the podcast, yeah, so it makes me look smarter. So <laughs> yeah. So, they, but speaking of Twitter and our, I, oh yeah, oh no, go ahead. Well, I I was just going to say, I, Wes Welker, I, I don't even remember who he is anymore now that we have uh, Julian Edelman. 1-1. One, one. Yep. That's how they do it. They Fill, just yeah, he filled the... Roll him in. I mean, board. you talk about the NFL being an awful corporation, things like that, often. And I think the Welker situation is like the perfect picture. I mean, the guy went over the middle his whole career. He got absolutely killed. And when it came time to actually make money, the Patriots were like, no, go see if anyone wants to pay you. And right. nobody did. He never really got super rich he made a good living but he's also retired at what 36 right and it's it's he, just vicious yeah and it, it seemed I, I, don't, I don't remember how many if it ever came out how many concussions that he said he had or i don't think anyone's ever been concussed it. more yeah he, he's yeah he, he he got murdered you know every game and he came back every single time well, and then in, in a stupid in a way because that's why we all love him because oh he's so tough you know he's, yeah well, it's a conundrum as a fan where you admire the, 
you know, fortitude to get back up and stay with it. But as a human, you're like, your brain is going to be damaged forever. Yeah. And, and, and it's really hard. It's a really hard thing to justify. And I wouldn't be surprised if we, you know, aren't, aren't, aren't fans for too much long, you know, five years or 10 years. I don't know how long it's going to be. But uh, I admit that I'm, I'm sort of a hypocrite when it comes to football. I, I, I don't, I think it's a terrible business, but yet here we are. I, I don't know what to tell you about that. I, I also drive an automobile and, you know, and, uh, loaded up with gasoline. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, I mean, I struggle with it too, but when it comes down to Sunday, you're not, not going to watch the game no, if you're, if you're uh, around, yeah. unless they're playing the Browns or right. something. Unless it's the Browns or the Cardinals. Well, the or Buccaneers. Something. Actually, 20 out of the 32 teams probably aren't worth watching. But, um, but so moving on a little bit, you are a fairly large Twitter presence. I would say, yeah, sure. You you, uh, you spend a lot of time on there. You've you've joked that it's a mental illness, yeah. But yeah. I don't think that's really a joke. No, I think I think all of us that are on there all day, we're it's doing damage to us. It really is. It, it changes the way that a lot of us act and think. I, it's probably, uh, you know, being in the media like we are. It's 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 uh, probably affected us worse than than average people yeah. like my friends who who don't use it as much as we do, right? In part, we got to stay on top of whatever's happening, like we were saying earlier, you know, whether it's in sports or the latest thing in, in, in you know, government. Well, there's also, I mean, as a freelancer, people are going to look at your follower account. Right. They're going to make sure, I mean. No, it certainly helps. And I think that, I, I don't know, I have a decent amount of followers, and, and, and a significant uh, percentage of them are from me saying, you know, uh, doing dick jokes and, you know, poop jokes and shit on there. <laughs> and, uh but that, that the, when you know an editor goes to look at it, they don't know who's following me for the right for the, you know. You hope they just look at the follower count and then don't actually right. read the tweets. And then some of them are following me for my fine journalism. But uh, it's a uh, you know that you can't. There's no um, there's no such thing as a as a bad follower, as they say. Although yeah, no, I disagree are. with yeah, that. Yeah. Um, but I I find it especially since November to just be exhausting. The daily scroll through Twitter where everything Trump does or everything associated with Trump is basically presented on Twitter as this massive calamity and like this is going to be the catastrophe that 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 rises to the scandal level and it's like every day it's like a crescendo and then it goes down and then we all go home and go to bed and then the next day it just starts it's just so tiring it really is and uh you know, I haven't looked. I don't know how long we've been talking about. I haven't looked. Uh, 20, 20, 29 minutes without 29 tweets. 29 minutes. It's, you want to take a break? <laughs> yeah. I, this, like, the world very well could be ending right now, and we don't know about it. This, <laughs> well, on Twitter, it definitely is. This, it there, there's is. someone presenting it that way. No, I think, um, I forget what the question was because my mind is so addled by Twitter. I no longer have a attention <laughs> span anymore. But Three sentences was one too many. <laughs> yeah. I think... Um, I don't know. I think it's a great tool and it's amazing. And, and, and you know, I, I access to so much more information than I ever had and access to so much more lies. And yep. I've got access to, to, I've made a lot of good personal friends on there and I laugh daily and I make people laugh daily. And that's a great thing. But I also am exposed to the absolute vilest, horrible human beings you can imagine every day. And it really bums me out and it kind of breaks my heart a little bit to see not that like it doesn't you know i I get told i suck a good amount but that doesn't bother me like 
Um, it does lose its punch after it time number 3000. But you know what does bother me is seeing that there's so many of these people out there who think that way. Like, I don't care if they don't like me, but the, just the way that they... They're dedicated to letting you know that and everyone yeah, else Yeah, and that. not even so much that they're mean to people, just that the things that they believe in, and especially with the Trump, you know, MAGA, Chuds, Pepe, you know, shitheads, it's just, like, it really drains my soul to have to see those people doing the stuff that they do. I, well, you're deep in politics, Twitter. I mean, often. Mm-hmm. I only mostly deal with sports Twitter, and that's bad in its own right. I remember in the playoffs, I said something not flattering about, like, the Oakland Raiders, and then all of a sudden, 300 Oakland Raiders fans are oh, yeah. telling me that I'm you know, a piece of garbage and should die. Like, literally, you should die because you don't you didn't say the best thing about my quarterback, but politics Twitter to me, I stay out of it for the most part because I just, I don't have the energy, I don't think, to just... No, it's terrible, and I think the best thing that's ever happened is the mute button. Mm. Um, you know, so... I, if I get like tweeted into MAGA Twitter, you know all these. You can mute the whole you conversation, can mute the whole right? Thing and it's genius. I'm, I'm invisible, bitches. You can't touch me. <laughs> um, you also open yourself up a lot. Um, it's the way that you shared your most recent story, which was titled "Most People Will Never Understand My Eating Disorder." You, the way you shared it stood out to me because I, I was actually when I wanted to have you on the podcast, I want to talk to you because you are very open about a lot of things. And you said that one in particular, even being as open as you are, was, was difficult for you. And reading it, it seemed like you were learning about it as you went. Is that fair yeah, to say? Yeah, no, it certainly was. It's, it's weird. And, and the thing, I don't know, it's hard because it sounds, it almost sounds like humble brag or something. Like, oh, I get a, my addiction is the gym, you know? <laughs> yeah, no, um, no. So I was kind of acutely aware of that as a as a potential angle of criticism, and I did get that from some people, but for the most part, people were really understanding of it. And I think it's probably something that I've known my you know most of my life, but just never like as you said, as I was writing, I was like, oh holy shit, that's what this is. Yeah, and I talking I heard, to experts and yeah, and I, and I heard from dozens, you know, a couple dozen men and women who were like this is you know this people need to say this sort of thing like nobody talks about this and heard from guys who are like i i struggle with this too and and you know basically what it is 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 an unhealthy obsession with exercising to the point of um harming yourself or or you know suffering from depression and anxiety if you can't if you can't exercise and you know it's it's essentially a form of of bulimia where instead of vomiting you you exercise obsessively to make up for the for the uh for the calories you consume and um anyway, you can probably tell as i'm talking about it i'm not I'm a little different because it's not like really funny i don't know it, it, no it is no, kind of funny i mean i don't know it's not funny but i mean everyone has has problems but i i think it's similar to other addictions and um but I feel like uh, I don't know if if you just wrote a straightforward piece about here's this new thing that doctors are talking about, like nobody would really pay attention. Yeah, like, oh, if you removed great. yourself from right. that story, there's not really the same right. impact. So you know, it's sometimes you don't want to be part of the story, but sometimes you do. And I, I don't know. I feel like if anything is my strength uh, as a writer, it would be that kind of mixing the personal with the um, you know, 
while also trying to be a, a journalist about it. Yeah. Um, well, you've done that a few times recently. You wrote about turning 40. You yeah. kind of touched on all those things. You, you've written about your relationship with your father. Right. You've written in the past about your salary, right. things that most people hold closest to them. I mean, I'm, I'm pretty guarded with things I put out there, so I find it, I find it admirable that you can, you can do that and do it in a way that, that makes people interested and, and sort of compassionate towards you. So have you always done that or is it something? I think so. I think so. Uh, I think that social media has like changed things in a way where most of us are, are constantly confessing all the time anyways, even if we don't, aren't overtly doing it. Like you can't help but show who you really are. Uh, if you're, you know, posting on Facebook, you know, even even just like you know regular civilian non uh, insane people who post on Facebook constantly, they're basically they're they're building a case for their observers to who they actually are, mm-hmm. and that's even if they're constantly lying. You know what I mean? Because mm-hmm. you can you can tell when when people are presenting a a, a sort of phony front about who they are with their with their well ma- uh, manicured life and everything. Right. Uh, but I don't know. I think if you want to believe. It's important to be believed when you are a writer, and uh, it would be, I don't know, I'm just not really good at, I mean, I'm actually pretty good at lying, but I'm not really good at lying in my work, you know what I mean? I can lie in my personal life, but mm-hmm. for some reason I uh, don't lie when it comes to my writing. Well, I, I, I hope this doesn't sound like a pretentious. Super I, I, pretentious, actually. Yeah, I don't really no. have a very high opinion of myself, but. You know. Has the response to your most recent story been helpful? I think so. It's like you don't want to be dependent on it, but you also don't want everyone to either disregard it or minimize yeah, no, it. No, I um, I feel a little weird. It's at the gym. Like I'm gonna, I mean, I'm still going to the gym. I'm just trying to be less of a psycho about it. Mm-hmm. Um, but I felt weird like the past couple of days there, like because I know some people know who I am there. Like, oh, I wonder if they saw my piece and are, like, disappointed in me now for being here. You know, like, if somebody... It's like you walk quit. into the bar yeah, and they, they see, know you're see, at AA. Yeah, like, you're not going to say anything. But you're like, oh, no, he's at the bar. Fortunately, um, it's a bit more healthy than It than, is, than it is. But, man, you, I have a really bad... I have a f***ed up back, and uh, it sucks. And I'm gonna, I can give anyone advice out there that Michael Hurley's young listeners is to take care of your damn back. And, I just had back surgery. So, you did? Uh, yeah. It sucks. We'll talk about it off. Okay. No one wants to hear about my back <laughs> no. surgery, but it also um, it yeah. is it is they make it seem like it's no big deal. Like oh, we'll go <clears> in, we'll sn-. and then two months later, I'm still in right. pretty bad pain, right. and it's like they didn't really properly sum this one up for me. It but. does kind of put it in context, though, when you think about like when you hear about like you know, Gronkowski or someone having surgery. Uh, oh, they'll be back and you, you hear like, oh, they'll be as back in six months. And you're like, sweet, six months. As yeah. soon as it happens, they're like, breaking news, Rob Gronkowski needs back surgery. He'll be back in four to six months. Right. And it's like, as a person, you're just like, wait, how do you, like, right. I'm a human being, but I mean. You also think like, you also think like, oh, that's not that long, but like in your own life, if you. If Those you, six months suck. Yeah. I just went to the gym today for the first time since oh, yeah? my surgery in March. So it's like you like taking it easing it back in, or yeah, it's just I'll, I'll tell you off. All right, you know, wants to hear about that, before right. you, you know, I got a couple more things. You I want do to tell want me to... about your uh, fantasy team? Yeah, all? yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'm thinking about taking uh, no um, emo night. Yes, emo night's important to you. It is. It is very important to me, and it, that's weird too. But uh, 
So Emo Night is, is a monthly party we do at the Sinclair. Uh, and um, it's it been doing it like two and a half years and started it with a few friends. And uh, and basically, you know, we, we it's just it's kind of like a basically like a theme dance night. But it's not really dancing so much, you know. It's like, like you it, go to a bar and there's music that you actually right, like. Right, like, you know, if you went to like a, a, I don't know, a soul night or, or a funk night or whatever, just Emo Night. Uh, and, but we sing along and... Um, and it's always packed, and and it's got a really big following, and it's it's really it's really fun. I never aspired to be a DJ or, or call myself a DJ because, uh, I mean, I, I have a lot of respect for actual DJs. That's a you know it's a hard thing to do, and but it just never was something you know I really wanted to do. But uh, this is different because you're just basically you know picking songs and and making people happy, and and uh, we just really have a good time, and it's like a community is formed around it. Um, of people who come every month and and uh, I made a lot of new friends and I don't know it's a lot of fun and and, and it's it's more like you know it's I mean then well then there's the whole thing that that I've been bitching about lately with the with the other emo nights coming yeah. in and every you know, every city seems to have a very different c- concept of emo night. yeah and every city big city has one or two now. And there's a couple other things in Boston. One, which is I think is really cool because it's different. It's a, like a karaoke live band. So. Oh, yeah, I've seen that. So that's great because that's a completely different thing than we do. But then they now we've got, like, the, the two biggest ones, Emo Night LA and Emo Night Brooklyn, they tour the country like they're, like they're actual, like, famous DJs or, like, bands. And they go from city to city and... So so now there's Emo Night Brooklyn Boston is like a regular thing like every That doesn't make months. sense. There's no. a marketing issue there. It well I tried to explain to them that it's very confusing to the consumer to have two things called Emo Night Boston and they didn't seem to think that was true. So. You should change yours to Emo Night not Brooklyn Boston. <laughs> yeah. Well I did a stupid like I did like a Facebook event it was like Emo Night Brooklyn Boston New York in Boston <laughs> and then the promoters of it got pissed at me like why are you doing that? You're like, creating oh, confusion. Oh, oh, you see, it's kind of confusing, isn't it? <laughs> but I mean, I've I've listened to emo for many years. I feel like it's not really a word that's ever had a strict definition. It seems like it's always been sort of wide ranging, but it feels like in more recent years it's been used as an insult. Yeah, and, well, and, no, I think people almost from the first day it was coined in like the late '80s or with Fugazi or whatever. It, uh, in DC and all those bands, people hated the term because, like, you know, of course music is emotional. Yeah. Um, but. And it I, seemed like there was a stretch in the 2000s where nobody wanted to be labeled emo. Well, yeah, because this, what, what happened was, as what happens with anything, is it, you know, became a quick cash grab for a lot of people and there was a lot of copycats and kind of changed from what it original, originally was. But I'm sort of Catholic uh, in my approach to um, emo. I, I think, you know, this type of stuff we play is, you know, the late, uh, early, you know, late, sorry, late 90s stuff. Um, and then, you know, Mineral and Braid and Promise Ring. And, and then, you know, into the 2000s, the Get Up, uh, get up Kids. And, and then... Um, you know Jimmy World when they started to get popular, and then all the bands that came out of that. And you know I, I like the I like the the stuff that a lot of people think of as cheesy too, like My Chemical Romance and The Used. I count that. And then and then, but most important to me is all of the of the newer stuff. You know, like Joyce Manor and The Hotelier and um, 
Pine Grove and Modern Baseball and all these new bands. And that's that for me is the most exciting part because there's all these these young bands with with so much like you know 25 years of different versions of emo to pull from, and it's really exciting to me anyway. I can tell. I can tell that yeah. it's 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 not hokey or jokey when you do it. It's, no, I don't. I don't think it's. I mean, I don't think I. 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 You know, you can make jokes about emo, and I'm not going to be like offended by it. But I, I don't. I think it's just kind of corny. I don't know. It's like I feel like the jokes about that people make about emo is like if you were going to make fun of hip hop today, and you did like a you know hippity hoppity rapping granny, you know where's the beef type of joke or whatever. Like that's. That actually that's made a that made a lot of money on Broadway. Actually, that <laughs> yeah. exact thing. Um, and you're also in a band, No yes. Hope, No Harm. That's right. I didn't know you as a singer. I only knew you as a writer. And then all of a sudden, you're belting out these tunes. You got some serious pipes. Well, thank you, my friend. Oh, well, that's yeah. It's funny because a lot of people who didn't, you know, I've been around in Boston scene for a long time. You know, I, like I said, I just turned forty. I was in a band, you know, all my twenties and in my early thirties. So a lot of people who probably learned about me when I became more known on Twitter and stuff wouldn't have ever known me that I was a musician but yeah it's it's really fun and it's me and a couple of friends and, and my friend Aaron Perino who was in the, one of the, my favorite Boston bands ever the Sheila Divine and I probably would have never done a been in a band again if he didn't ask me to do it because he you know literally is one of my favorite songwriters and singers in the world who also happened to become my friend and, uh, How long was your layoff between bands? I don't know, probably like seven years, something like that. And to be honest, like, I just didn't really have the love for the game anymore, you know? Like, I, my old band, The Good North, we, we had a decent run, you know? We did some decent touring and got, you know, a little bit of this attention and that and... And, you know, had a lot of big shows, big opening for this band and that band, you know, the whole thing. And uh, but then it just starts to suck. Yeah. You know, driving six hours to go play to ten people, you know, sleeping on couches. So finally I felt like I got too old for that. Um, so I don't know if we're going to do it like that. We're, right now we're just making music and it's a lot of fun. And, uh, you know, play something. we're going to play June 24th at Great Scott. If I can get my plug in. I was, my last line was, why don't you plug your new show and sing Wagon Wheel to get everyone jazzed <laughs> up for it? I can't sing right now. I'm too sick. What uh, is it? What, for for those of us who can't sing, What I mean, this is like the dumbest question, but like, what's it like to sing on a stage? What's more opening yourself up, singing on stage in front of people or writing some of the stories that you've oh, written? Oh, singing for sure. Like I, yeah, I can you bet. Know, even after like doing it hundreds of times, I still get actually, you know, get nervous and to be honest, I don't even care if anyone likes my articles anymore. I just want them to like my, my songs. So please, please de- unsubscribe from Joke Luke uh, <laughs> and uh, become a fan of Sad Luke. You got a Twitter account out there, right? No Hope, No Harm has a Twitter account? Yes, it does. Yes, it does. And you can follow us at NHNHBand, which is sure lots of people will remember. Um but yeah, I don't know, man. I'm just like I'm like the most multi-talented man in the world. Yeah. I guess is what I'm trying to say. Well, thanks for bestowing you, us with your presence. Bestowing your presence upon us is that it? I don't remember. June 24th. June 24th. Great, Scott. Hey, Michael Hurley. Thank you. I th- I think you're a great sports writer, and uh, I don't I don't uh, I don't think you should uh, take any crap from Felger. Thanks. I'm gonna let him know okay. right now. Let's go do <laughs> so, it. Yeah, I want to go down. And, <laughs> yeah. Can we barge in and? Uh, and 
give him a little storm the castle. Yeah. All right. Thank you so much. Hey, thanks, bud. So there you have it, Luke O'Neill. I want to thank him for coming in, bearing his soul here in the Hurley Edition studio. I thought it was pretty good. I think he's an interesting person. I, I've always wanted to have a, a deeper conversation with him than uh, the Twitter Twitter character limits allow. So I, I found it interesting to get his perspective on a lot of things. I hope you did too. That's the whole point of this thing, is to provide you with something interesting to listen to. So hopefully you liked it. If you want to follow Luke on Twitter, he's at LukeO'Neill47. And thanks again for him for coming in, talking to me. No one really wants to talk to me these days, so I do appreciate it. And as for you listening, thank you so much. I, I, I appreciate it. I can't. We did. We, we cracked the top 100 in sports podcasts on iTunes, which I don't know exactly what that means, but I'm taking it as an accomplishment. I set out. I wasn't sure how this was going to land, where it was going to reach, so I appreciate it. If you've listened, if you've subscribed, if you've written a five-star review, which I appreciate because... You know, my mother always told me I'm a five-star young man, and so I deserve those five-star reviews, I think. Please, you know, tell your friends if you if you want. I can't tell you what to do. But if you think they might like it, share it. You know, let's spread the word, the Hurley Edition. I do appreciate it. Check it out, and we'll be back next week with a whole new podcast for you for the price of free. Thank you very much. Thank you.